Well, good morning, everyone. I hope everyone had a super Christmas. I know we did. I don't know, what is there, 30, 40 people around? It was pretty busy, crazy. Kids running all over the place, but they had a good time. And uh, we always enjoy uh, their time together. Um, this morning, the message, I called it a 4,000-year journey to Bethlehem. Because when you really think about all the prophecies that were spoken of in the Old Testament, it was over 4,000 years from the beginning of time until Jesus was born in Bethlehem. 4,000 years. So there's this long journey, but it was mentioned early on in the scriptures that Jesus would be born. And not only would he be born, but it's very specific the place he would be born, which is pretty amazing. We're going to take a look at some of those things. And uh, one of the things I like about this journey, it's, it's like a journey like nothing, like nothing else in history that we've ever experienced when you start looking at all the details. We see that it's divinely inspired, and we see that God planned each activity, each event that occurs in the scriptures. It was his plan. It was perfect and what is precise as you go through the scriptures. And that's what I find amazing because it, it fits together like gears, you know, in a car. You know, the gears all come together to work for a common good. And that's what we see in the scriptures. Those gears just mesh together perfectly in the scriptures. And we also see, too, that, you know, since this is over a period of, you know, 4,000 years, we see that his plans are eternal. Uh, and they bring glory to himself when you start looking at these things. They bring glory to him for who he is. And they won't change. We also see contained in the scriptures all these detailed historical accounts. And we're going to look at some of these things this morning. Um, he inspired authors uh, over the, you know, to write the scriptures. And these inspirational stories that we see, even producers in Hollywood have made movies of these things because they were so grandiose. You know, you think of the movie Ten Commandments. I remember when I first saw it, I thought, wow, that's pretty awesome. Or the movie about Noah. There was a movie about the Bible and then the Nativity story. So these were grandiose, you know, productions that were done by Hollywood to show these events on the screen of what happened in our, early, in our early, early history. Now, after looking at these things, you know, prayerfully and a, and a thoughtful study of all these events, you come to realize that these are not uh, just a mix of unrelated stories. They all come together. That's what's amazing. It's not by chance, but it was well thought out and planned by the Lord. He planned it all. And he execute it perfectly. And of course, we're the benefactors of him executing that plan perfectly because we can look back and see each of these events actually occurred and happened as according to plan. So we can say today his plans are certain and they're good. We see the psalmist says, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. They're his plans. I was a uh, project planner at uh, Safeway for many years, 43 to be exact. And um, every plan that you put together has an activity, many activities in a plan. And in that plan, not only do you have each of these activities, but you have a timeline. And then for each of those activities, you have roles, people who are involved in making sure that that activity gets carried out exactly. And not only do you have that, but you have um, predecessors, things that have to occur first, and things that have to occur after. So you have predecessors and successors in the plan. And of course, any good project manager will always be asked, when can you deliver, <laughs> right? When do you get that done? 
Well, we see these activities in God's plan took place over 4,000 years. And we've been looking at prophecies. Don had gone through the prophecies on future events. Now we're really looking back in time now on things that have already occurred over a 4,000 year period between creation and Christ's birth. Um, every good plan has an objective. And just think of your own life. You have plans. For instance, um, can a general in a war win a war without a plan? No. Makes sense. If there's no plan, it's going to be chaos and a loss. Um, how about closer to home? Uh, can a cook prepare a five-star meal without having the right ingredients, the right recipe, the proper heat, and the experience? The answer to that is no. You're going to end up with something that doesn't taste so good, and you won't want to eat it. Or how about a soccer team? We're all familiar with soccer. Uh, those that are online, I know the Shapiros here, they're familiar with soccer. How successful would a soccer team be on the field if they didn't have a strategy and a plan? It'd be chaos. It'd be chaotic. And there's probably a good chance that they would lose. So plans are very important, and we're very familiar with plans. So we have God's plan. And let's bring it up here. Now, this is God's plan, and I know it's kind of small here, that's why you gave handouts, but um, on the right side of this plan is the future events that we've already talked about. On the left side are some, just some of those things that occurred in the Old Testament from creation to the birth of Christ. And we see this is God's plan showing us that there is a Redeemer that will be sent, a Deliverer. It will be sent, a savior uh, be sent for us. And he will be born. Now, over a period of time, we show you a timeline of when these events occurred. And it's pretty amazing because when you look at some of the prophetic uh, truths in God's word, you see that many of these were written thousands of years before Christ's birth. You see them written hundreds of years before his birth. It's pretty amazing. I mean, how could that be possible? These things were exact. You know, the one thing that's always impacted me about um, the birth of Christ and the prophecy was Mike, and we'll talk a little bit about that, but even the place he was going to be born was prophesied hundreds of years before it happened. How could that be possible? Only divine, only God could do that. And I love it because when you read things like that, you know, it really causes us to see God's word for what it is. It's true. It's reliable, and we can trust in it. So over the past few weeks, we've looked at prophecy, the end times, and it encourages us that Jesus will come again. But one thing is a reminder, we don't know when that is going to be yet. For he says in the word, concerning that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. He's the only one that knows when. So we don't know. We can see it sitting out there, ready to happen. And just think, this is what it was like for the prophets of old and the people of old. They looked forward to these prophecies, and they waited for days, months, years, centuries for these things to occur, but they didn't occur yet. And you're wondering, you're scratching your head, is this true? Could this happen? Well, as believers today, we're faced with that same reality as we look forward to future events. We're looking forward to those things future. But based on what we saw happen in the Old Testament concerning Christ's birth, well, we can count on what he says is going to happen. It will happen. You can count on it. As they say, you can bank on that and take it to the bank because that's the way God is. So in this timeline, 
It starts with creation and uh, bringing us to the greatest turning point of history, and that's the birth of our promised Savior. Now, we're going to start with creation, and there's a reason for that. So you're wondering, well, what's creation got to do with all this? It plays a part. Um, we're going to start with this journey, <clears throat> and as we start this journey, just think of the loving care that God has for us. He's a compassionate, merciful God. And his nature is that he overflows with his grace and mercy toward each one of us to draw man to himself. And that's what you see as we start looking at these, these uh, prophecies. God so much wants man to be brought together with him in harmony again and peace. That's his desire. But we see after looking at these, today it's 6,000 years since a lot of these things have happened. <clears throat> but we can say that, see that the evidence of his plan stands firm. And they're, they're, every one of these are irrefutable. You know, there's not one science or historical account of what's happened in the scriptures that have been disproved. What's interesting when you start looking at biblical archaeology... It's amazing that when they continue to discover and find archaeological artifacts, it continues to prove that the scriptures are true. The things that were written in the word of God were true. Even though the man wants to try to deny it and push it off to the side and say, eh, you know, it's just chance. <clears throat> so let's look at six days of creation. Um, you know, it's amazing. We can sit here in 30 seconds and say, okay, these are six days of creation. But just think, God just spoke through the power of his word and these things into, into being. It's just amazing. How could that happen? Because that's a powerful God that we have. So we see six days. That's all it took to create all that you see today. The first day was light and earth. Second day, God separated the waters from above and below. Third day, created the dry land and all the plants. Then he created the sun, the moon, the stars, and the planets. And I'm still awestruck when I think of him creating the stars and the moon, the planets, and even the galaxies that we see. I was looking at some pictures this last week and see some of the Hubble photographs of space. And it's just amazing to see the stars. You know, they say that the seen sky today is like 300 billion stars and something like another 100 billion galaxies sitting out there which have their own stars. I mean, it's pretty amazing. But God did that in one day, just like that, through the power of his word. So when you think about that, is there anything he cannot do? He can do all things. And then we go from that to all the flying and sea creatures that were created. And it's amazing, all the sea creatures, because I'm a diver, and I've been all over the place diving, and I've seen some of the most beautiful things on earth underwater, things that you don't see above the water. Like if you go out into the Indian Ocean or the China Sea, the corals are so rich there. You know, there's like 400 different varieties of corals of every color imaginable. There's 3,500 varieties of fish, various sizes, every color imaginable, every shape imaginable. Just gorgeous. God did it just like that. And then day six, land animals and man were created. And I like what it says in Genesis 2, 7. It says, And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. That's us. That's where it all started. And then God proclaimed it was good. Those are fantastic words. He proclaimed it was good. But now I have to interject a word called but. Something later happened.
There was a garden, a garden of Eden, where God placed man and woman. And they were in this garden, and I just pulled some pictures up of various, some of the most famous gardens around the world, and here is a picture of just a few. Just gorgeous, beautiful gardens, and, and I think some of you have um, been to some gardens that are just amazing. You go there like in springtime, and the colors are just unimaginable, you know, just beautiful, and you don't want to leave. It's so beautiful, and sometimes you just sit on a bench somewhere and just stare at it because it's so gorgeous. Can you imagine what it was like here, man and woman in perfect harmony with God in this kind of environment? Beautiful. That's the way it was. But there was the fall. We all know about the fall. And it said that in the fall that the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. To know good and evil. The Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden. So he drove out the man and he placed the cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden. And a flaming sword which turned away every way to guard the way of the tree of life. Here we see that they turned away from God. They disobeyed God. And the peace and harmony that they once had was destroyed. And they were going to be judged for it. And as a result of that disobedience, they were taken out of that garden, put an angel in front. They couldn't go back in. Sin entered the world. And we know that sin entered the world because if we look in our own lives, you know, as, as parents, you see your young children, you see how they react. You, know, you see that sinful nature. You know, Adam's sin explains the sin nature of each one of us. Because we see it, as we reflect in our own lives, we see the sin nature. We sin because we are like Adam, our father, and the sufferings of man and of all creation are the consequences of the fall of man. But we see God promises a deliverer from this situation. We see in Genesis 3.15, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What's interesting, when you look closely at this verse and you begin to dissect this verse, it's interesting, the Lord says, I will put enmity between your seed and her seed. It's her seed. Remember, Jesus was born of a virgin. Very important. And that's exactly what this is saying here. Now, go to biology classes, science classes, physiology classes. You go to those classes, you want, oh, yeah, how can that happen? Well, God made it happen. But it shows this was fulfilled at his birth. Exactly what the Lord said would happen is exactly what happened. We see Satan's curse finally ends with his destruction. And one of Eve's offspring will crush the spirit's, uh, serpent's head with a fatal striking blow in the process. And Christ will suffer a bruised heel, an injury our Lord chooses to inflict upon himself. That's what's going to happen. Let's look at the days of Noah. After the fall in the garden, 15 years had passed. And as that occurred, we see in the scriptures that man continues a downward spiral into sin and corruption, never seen on the earth. Now, I was reading that and I scratched my head and said, I can't imagine what that would be like. I mean, we see sin and corruption in today's world, but yet this was all over the world and it was going to be judged by the Lord. And God said that 
Man's heart was continually evil. Boy, he, he sure knows man, doesn't he? He knows our hearts. Continually evil. And as a result, God brought this cataclysmic event never seen before nor seen since. We know that water would flood the whole earth and destroy those living on it. Now, I was reminded this morning as I drove here, I saw this wonderful reminder coming here this morning. I don't know if you saw it, Don, but coming down from the hills, looking towards San Francisco, there's this huge rainbow. <laughs> God's covenant with us that he'd never do it again. He'd never again destroy the earth that way. As a reminder this morning to me as I was coming here, what a wonderful promise from God. And as a result of this flood, no one was ever going to escape God's judgment except one family. And it was a family of eight. Only eight. Can you imagine? All the people of the earth who lived on this earth, only eight would come out of that safely. It's amazing. Only eight. As you really begin to sink deeply into that event, there's really not a, one descriptive word that can really define or project the idea of the actual process that resulted in the agony and suffering and death of everyone on this earth. I can't imagine it. Well, not one scene is played out before our eyes of such devastation, but judgment is certainly a theme in this event of the flood. But thanks be to God, there is a much greater theme than that of the saving, and, and that of the saving grace of our Lord. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 56 through 57, it says, the sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's good news, isn't it? We have the victory through him. We see that in Noah's life that he was a just man, perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God, and Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, when you think of that, you ask yourselves, uh, who are you descended of? Pretty simple, isn't it? People wonder, ah, what's your ancestry? Well, I know for sure where my ancestry is, is comes from here. <laughs> you know, for sure. I don't know everything in between, but somewhere we came from one of these three. It's an amazing thought, isn't it? You know, people are scratching, where did I come from? Well, we know from the scripture. And we also see the earth was so corrupt before God, the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth and indeed, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And we see that again, repeating itself. Yeah, we hear the comments today. History repeats itself. We see that true of the scriptures as well. Events in the scriptures re repeating. History repeats, it health, repeats itself. So we see the earth was all corrupt before God. Filled with violence, and he looked upon all the earth. Just think, he looked upon all the earth, which he is capable of doing. And indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And then God said to Noah, 
The end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. But we're not just left at the end of this story. There's still more to the story. There's this word, but. There's that turning, or turning point again in the scriptures, but. Whenever you see but in the scriptures, take notice, because there's a change in thought. So we see here now that I will establish my covenant with you. And we've talked about covenants, haven't we? It's a contract. You know, Matt mentioned that last week. Very important. God has made a contract with us. And he's doing this with Noah. He says, but I establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you and your sons, your wife and your sons, wives with you. And every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two of every sort into the ark. To keep them alive with you, they shall be male and female. And we see the ark was designed to save Noah and his family and to ensure the fulfillment of the divine purpose for creation and God's promise of salvation. Because through the ark, we see that Noah built this ark to save his family and all the animals from total destruction. But we too, we have an ark too in Christ. It's through him. When we are in Christ, we are saved from the penalty of sin. We're saved from the judgment of God. And then we see after the flood that Noah rejoices in the Lord and gives thanks to the Lord in remembrance of what he had delivered them from. And it says in Genesis 8.20, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smiled, uh, smelled a soothing aroma then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground. Promise from God. God's promise of ultimate and final salvation is renewed in response to Noah's expression of faith through a sacrificial offering. We worship the Lord this Christmas, didn't we? We come together, remember the Lord over this Christmas to remember his birth again. And we give honor to him for what he had done, that he was born a man to come to be the deliverer and savior of mankind, the deliverer of us and the penalty of sin. Jesus is our type of ark who we trust. It says in 2 Corinthians 15, 21, for since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead, for as in Adam all died, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. It's wonderful news, isn't it? We're made alive in Christ, and we can count on it. Now we'll transition from Noah to another man in the scriptures called Moses. And we see... Moses to be uh, in scriptures, if you look in Hebrews 11, he's mentioned in the Hall of Fame of Faith. We see that by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. By faith, he left Egypt, and by faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood. By faith, they pass through the Red Sea. Now, when you look at each one of those things, those are significant events in his life. Very significant. And we're going to look at one this morning, and that's the crossing of the Red Sea. So I find that so fascinating. That one event about how God was there to deliver the Hebrews from the power of Pharaoh. We see that God showed his power to carry out all his plans 
when the most powerful resist. Because that's what happened. Pharaoh resist about, resisted letting the Hebrews go. But he brought these plagues into Pharaoh's life until the last one finally convinced him, hey, I better do what God said. So finally he let the Hebrews go after the death of all the firstborn. And we see, as Moses being that man of faith, man of God, he really shows us that he is the one who really stood firm in his belief in God. You know, he didn't turn back. You know, he was faced with a, a challenge that would just, no one in this room has ever had to face before. A huge challenge. And one of the things that really impacted me here is if you look at, um, let's see if I have a slide just with a photo. Okay. If you look at these photos, I have four photos here. One just showing on the beach of one side of the Red Sea, all the Hebrews gathered together, bunched up on the seashore ready to go across to the promised land, but there's this huge water mass in front of them. How are they going to get over there? And just thinking of they're on this beach and thundering and clouds, you know, filling the sky with dust, Pharaoh's army is charging toward them. And they're sitting there, they can't go anywhere. And then Moses, with God's power of God behind him, open up these waters. And not only did he open up this path across the Red Sea and these two wall of, you know, walls of water just reaching toward the sky, not only did he do that, but the land was dry. Now, just think, you look out there today, we've had a lot of rain, it's a little wet out there. Yeah, you walk across the grass, it's like a sponge, you know, squish, squish, squish. But just think, when you go underwater, and I've been in a lot of places underwater, it's pretty mucky down there. You get around, walking around in it, you could sink into mud this deep in some places because of sediment. But it was dry. God did that. And then Pharaoh's army comes charging through those walls of water on both sides, God brings the water across the Pharaoh's army and drowns them all. And the Hebrews are safely on the other side, safe from imminent death, had they been on that beach. And we see that here in the scripture, that God promised to harden Pharaoh's heart. But Pharaoh will not heed you so that I may lead my hand on, uh, <clears throat> lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt, stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel among them. That was his promise, and he carried it out. And, of course, we look back and we see that happen. God brought them safely out. Not only that, Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. That's pretty amazing. The comfort that Moses gave these people as they stood there thinking that, I'm going to die here. I'm going to die on the seashore. Moses says, don't be afraid, be, stand still, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you will see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. We see that in Jesus, don't we? Jesus will fight for us. 
And he did the fight on Calvary when he died for us at Calvary. No reason to be afraid because we know the salvation of the Lord is through Christ. And we can count on it just like in the days of Moses. The message hasn't changed. The message is the same. Moses proclaimed, see the salvation of the Lord. And it says in Romans 8, 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And then in Romans 6, it says, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him. There's the promise. God promises life in Christ. Now, there was another prophet, and I find this prophet is pretty amazing. There's not much known about Micah. Micah was uh, one of the minor prophets. He, um, not much in the scriptures are known about him. We know that he was in Judah. He had witnessed all that was going on in Israel when it was taken over. And he was prophesying against Judah what would happen to them, that they would be destroyed. And as he goes through this series of uh, writings to those in Judah, he gives them hope. He predicts that not only will judgment come, but there'll be hope and future restoration. And as you read Micah, you see that. And I like what he says in Micah 5 too. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. And of course, we know that that's the birthplace of Christ. Now, what's amazing, and I don't know if you know this, but did you know there was two Bethlehems in the scripture? So this one was very pointed out. This is the Bethlehem of Ephrata. This is the exact place in he was born. Now, could anybody in your families predict what city you were going to be born in? <laughs> Maybe days or months before. But this was hundreds of years before. Micah foretold the birth of Christ. And then we have another prophet, Isaiah, who tells of Jesus' birth. He said, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a child is born. Now you read through that, you wonder, wow, what's this all about? Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Well, this is an interesting prophecy because it tells not only about the birth of Christ, but it also tells about the future things that Don talked about. So there's end time prophecies yet to be fulfilled. This scripture hasn't been fulfilled completely yet, only part of it. And you see that in scriptures. When you read through scriptures, you'll see verses there that will have foretelling of the future events and those events that already have occurred. And that's what we have here from Isaiah. I found this pretty amazing because Isaiah, the prophet that he was, there's many messianic prophecies in, in, in Isaiah. 
And I have to say, Isaiah 53 is how I got saved. And I got saved through those prophecies because that prophecy, when I saw how detailed that prophecy was about his death on the cross, and even David's prophecy in Psalm 22, detailed account of his death, I knew this is God's word, and I better wake up and listen to it. That's why prophecies are so wonderful, because they really show the truth of God's word. You can rely on it. You can count on it. And it's not just some fable. I mean, I read some of this stuff, and they say, hey, these are fables, you know, like, you know, you read about the stories that they put on the producers doing Hollywood. You know, this is a fable of Christ. What? Not a fable. It really happened. If they do, if they go by the actual historical accounts. So now we get to the Christmas story. And I'm going to read through the Christmas story without any comment. So just listen to the events of the Christmas story that took place in Bethlehem. I couldn't say it any better, so I'm just going to read it. We see this in Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18 through chapter 2 through verse 12. And as we read the Christmas story from the, from the scriptures, just think of God's divine plan carried out. And there's so many events that take place in, in these scriptures that I find it amazing. Everything was carried out perfectly. So when you take all the Gospels, you take the harmony of all the Gospels telling of Christ's birth, you wonder, wow, that's amazing. All these events occurred perfectly in perfect timing. Matthew 1.18. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph... And uh, does everyone know what betrothed means? It's not a word that's used very much today. It means engagement. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for what which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people on their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took him to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Another event occurs. This time it's where Joseph and Mary register in Bethlehem, Luke 2, 1 through 20. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that would, all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Cornarius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. 
Joseph also went out from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her her to be uh, delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. And then now we have an announcement of his birth to the shepherds and to the world. Now they're in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel, or suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God, saying, Glory be to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass and which the Lord has made known to us. They came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and were told by them, told by them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told them. And here we see that through this story, the deliverer, the redeemer that was promised in these prophecies of the Old Testament have now been fulfilled according to God's plan, a carefully worked out plan that he executed perfectly. And we see As the prophecies were proclaimed, we see that the world and all the prophets waited 400 years, 4,000 years to wait for this event to occur. They waited that long. And to their amazement, they had to have been surprised when it happened. Because now they actually saw that event occur, as was prophesied. God delivered his promise, and he delivered it exactly as planned. Can you count on him? Oh, yeah, you can count on him. You know, as we see these scriptures reminded again this Christmas, God alone has the ability ability to save. God alone. He can save his people from the slavery uh, slavery and captivity of sin. And God's redemptive power and will has the ability to, to remove the sin from our lives. And he's he's demonstrated that over the centuries. He has that ability. And the deliverance from our sin is through Jesus Christ, his son, who was born in Bethlehem. And the theme throughout this morning's message really shows God's promises of redemption. That's a kind of a theme throughout the scripture, redemption and bringing man back to where he was supposed to be. God created man perfect, but then man sinned. And God wanted to bring them back into fellowship with him again. And we see that occur through Christ. Well, Christmas is that annual reminder of God's promises kept, isn't it? We have a promised deliverer. We have a promised Savior. 
who has come to bring us into an everlasting relationship with him. And I find that amazing. I look upon my own life as a sinner that God would want that kind of relationship with me. I find that amazing. So this morning, you can say, you can, you know, if you're a child of his now, you can really rejoice in that fact. His promises are true. You have peace with God. You will live eternally in peace with God because of what he has done. But if you don't know him this morning, just ponder these things that were shared and remember that Christ wants a relationship with you. So if you confess your sins to him and believe that he is the son of God and he died for you at Calvary and shed his blood for you and you trust him and you want him into your life, he'll save you and he'll give you everlasting life. That's his promise. We've seen his promises carried out here. He promises an abundant life to those that are in Christ. And he'll give that to you if you want that abundant life in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we again thank you for this Christmas, again to be reminded of your promises that were given throughout Scripture about your coming to be born a man on this earth. We thank you, Lord, that you carried out your plan exactly as you wanted it. And for that, we give you thanks, Lord. And through that, we are the benefactors of what you have done for us. And so, Lord, we... We pray that this Christmas that we might just uh, continue to ponder these things in our heart like Mary did at the birth. She pondered these things in her heart. And I pray, Lord, that we might ponder these things in our heart for the next year as we look forward to another Christmas and a reminder of what you've done for us. And that, we do give you thanks.